0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to Bald Move Television, where the officially unofficial podcast for all of television. I'm your host, Aaron. And I'm Jim. And as in the last two weeks, we are going to condense our focus to a singular episode of television, uh, Chernobyl, Episode 3, Open Wide, O Earth, uh, the continuing miniseries on HBO. Uh,
1: Jim, we are at the midpoint of this series. What are you thinking? I'm still really loving it. Uh, Episode 3 was awesome. It has uh it introduces maybe the first minor criticism i have of this entire series so far okay. uh but everything else was really good i i as much as we saw sort of the horror of these people being burned in the initial aftermath uh, of the explosion it was even more devastating to see the after effects of it yes. uh and after that period of like oh they think they're getting better they're playing cards they're smoking cigarettes uh, and then some just truly horrific effects work yeah uh just just blew me away yeah, and you don 't have to look too hard to find actual pictures of these these people
0: and the results and just to kind of compare between the whew, the special effects and reality, but you know it's it, it when we talked about this show, I said, you know actually knowing about the effects of radiation is somewhat of a spoiler because if you knew that. I mean, it's, I, I I knew it, so it's a different way of watching, but, because mm-hmm. um, I was pretty sure that all the first responders that were, like, right there in the view of the burning graphite, they were all dead men. Yeah. Uh, but the particularly cruel phase of this massive dose of radiation, the walking ghost phase, where, and all, in, in all intents and purposes, you're fine. You're recovering from the initial effects of the radiation damage, but... You can't regrow bone marrow. You can't regrow stomach linings. You can't regrow basal skin cells. All the other places where your, your um, cells are rapidly devi- uh, developing. And, and you're eventually going to die. And, and die in particularly horrible ways. Like Some of the shit I've read in this extended Chernobyl stuff that I've been reading is just crazy. Like a man standing up and the skin of his legs fall off like a whole pant, pa- pair of pants. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just like something out of a fucking horror movie and not, if you didn't know that you were right in for the the ride with the, the firefighter's wife, Luda, like she's making all these heroic sacrifices, being very brave and seeing her husband transform into a monster and there for the whole ride, but she's also probably dooming her unborn child or, <laughs> Yeah. You know, and, and there's a lot of really great things, I think, that that you're supposed to think of and we can talk about when you get through those scenes. But I thought it was great. I'm curious to see what your criticism is, because I have a minor one as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but but yeah, I, I'm loving it. I'm also loving a discussion we got going in our feedback section about broader kind of, uh, you know, political and economic things comparing the United States,
1: to Soviet Union,
0: uh, which we'll get to in the feedback section. Any other thing you want to say in preamble
1: or? Yeah, I think so. Um, Kind of the other side of the coin uh, in regards to like knowing or not knowing uh, what the effects of the radiation are is like the doctor or or actually the, the nuclear scientist. Uh, Because she's in there knowing exactly what's going to happen to these people. Uh, Jared Harris can tell you detail minute by minute what's going to happen to these people. Mm -hmm. And so if you do know, you're kind of in their heads and you're Mm -hmm. going, oh, no, this is going to get way worse for everybody. And if you don't know, you're in Luda's head and it's all like there's sort of a, a, a dish for everyone's tastes here. Yeah. And I really like it. Yeah, you're right. Like, every time that, like, a Soviet a politician
0: wants to, like, declare victory, you can see in Jared Harris is like, oh, God. Yeah. Like, if I let the if, – if I – like, every time he gets in front of this board and makes a talk, he's, like, walking this knife's edge between having people, like, tune him out because the numbers he's talking about are too – you know catastrophic to and and the the odds like you know when you get to 50 50 you're gonna have a four megaton explosion that's going to radiate and kill half of eastern europe mm-hmm. oh shit but when you start getting the like 50 50 chance of contaminating groundwater which might and the like every time he equivocates which he should as a scientist you should get these people he's he's scared about what's going to happen he's also if he overplays it then maybe people die that don't need to like mm-hmm. you're right you're right knowing the stuff puts you in the one head space not knowing puts it in the other it works both ways yeah uh shall we get into the episode then yeah let's do it before we talk about the episode proper i just want to tell you what's going on real quick here at baldmove.com this week uh last baldmove tv we caught up on catch 22 uh hulu's amazon rather's fleabag which is really really good comedy uh and then we also talked a bunch of muhammad ali what's his name which is a new documentary from hbo and this friday we're looking at the new netflix film the perfection starring allison williams and logan browning uh bald movies we've been going bananas the last few weeks we've seen avengers endgame uh this week we saw john wick wick three and have a review we'll also this thursday be looking at disney's live action adaptation of aladdin uh, so be sure to go to the Bald Movies uh, TV feed and to the Bald Movies feed. You can find both of those on your favorite podcast app by searching for Bald Movies or Bald Movie TV. Okay, uh, the Scuba Guys turn out okay. They were able to uh, if, have, I, I guess, one of those types of uh, flashlights that you either wind up or this one. It looks like you squeeze to generate a charge. And uh-huh. They were able to find the valves that they needed and turn them.
1: Um, this this is my one complaint. Okay, me too. They played it last episode like this was equipment that was failing on them. They were panicking. They didn't know what the fuck to do. Right. Turns out they had flashlights that they just needed to charge. And I can't believe these people didn't know that going in. Right. And so the idea that they would panic at their lights going out is silly to me.
0: Yeah, they made it into a false cliffhanger, essentially. Yes. Um, and I think if you wanted to play it that way, the way to do it would be just to have these guys wading into the darkness with the Geiger counters increasing and then don't do all the frantic mm-hmm. Like You save that for the next episode. And I think that they kind of knew this was dirty dealing or kind of anticlimactic because what they did is the the divers are almost an afterthought. They cut out to the outside where Shab- Shab- Shabina and uh, Legosoft are debating about shit. Is it possible these, the, the, it's, it's been a long time. Has the water killed them? Yeah, it could be. What would we do then? Like, <laughs> and I, I like how Legosov doesn't even bother to answer because what, what do you do? You, do you wait six hours and send in three more guys? Do you send in 10 more guys? Do you, I mean, yeah,
1: build a robot?
0: To. Do you start, like, like <laughs> w- w- what is it? And by keeping it the tension between the people that have no way of knowing, like these guys are on the far mm-hmm. side of the moon and you don't know if the thing that they're doing to save Earth is working or not that's where the tension lied and they spent most of the time there but party foul yeah for building the false uh a false climax we didn't need to um yeah so that's 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 what i had the, my, my problem with uh as well um uh, when,
1: when they come out i i really love the congratulatory scene uh you know handing them like a bottle of vodka or or whatever it is uh and it it felt like you know they had done their job and they were being as rewarded as they could be yes. as people who were most likely doomed to die. Yes, uh, it, it's it's a bittersweet kind of thing. Yeah. Um. So I don't know what else you want to talk about. Um.
0: I thought that maybe we could talk about the crisis de jour because we have averted the half killing half of Europe catastrophe. Now, what it seems like uh, we're trying to avert is this lava cuz there's a scene where uh this general that we like uh, has given an update on the radiation and says like the radiation among these two bands is dropping but there's a spike in this other type of radiation which the physicist is able to deduce oh that's because that's part of the casing of these fuel rods and that means that the meltdown has become, begun so what he's talking about is this uranium has been a solid metal encased in these uh you know various protective casings but it's still a metal. It's getting hotter and hotter and hotter because of red, but it's still, you know, a solid metal. And now it's gotten so hot that it's starting to melt. It's starting to turn into that lava that they talked about last uh, episode and starting to flow. So the next thing is like if this chews through all the concrete pads designed to stop something like this happen and gets into groundwater. Now you're talking about uh, you know a whole Russian province, partic- uh, but, but, and everything, and in this ru- uh, watershed, it still seemed like it as fifty, sixty million people is going to be affected. Mm-hmm. Um, which that brought us into the miners and all that. Like, <laughs> I, 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 I liked, I, I liked getting because because like, it, it's not something I expected. Like I thought that the, when they pulled up to the miners, they're just going to be like sheep and herded up. But mm-hmm. this episode points out that like miners had a lot of power in in russia
1: yeah uh so i understand it now uh i i at risk of the the police busting in and arresting me i'm gonna say i love the miners uh they were probably the best part of this episode in my opinion uh and especially <laughs> exposing myself to even more trouble no pun intended uh the the i i liked the naked miners yeah. a lot it was hilarious. It's very like okay, well, uh this is uh, too hot to work in.
0: You won't give us fans. Um so we're going to just get naked. And this is the way our father's mind. I uh-huh. I liked it too. And just yeah. then just the fact that like, you know, this 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 uh Russian minister of coal pulls up in his white suit or his light gray suit and starts ordering them around, and these guys are having it. Like, look, I, I see you got a dude, and you've got 30 bullets, and you got 30 bullets, and there's 100 of us. Mm-hmm. So at best, you're going to take out 60, and the rest of the 40 are going to beat the shit out of you like only a Russian miner can. Like, <laughs> and, and they've cast guys that look like, when, when oh, this yeah. conversation's happening, they look like some fell faction of orcs from the bad <laughs> part of Lord of the Rings, right? Uh, and they cast, like, one of the guys was the old bear, Jor Mormont, from yeah, Game of Thrones. Yeah. All these fucking guys look like they could take three of these dudes apart. Uh, and there's some real menace. Mm-hmm. But and also, and they are, they're also not idiots.
1: They're uh, not, like, yeah. The, the thing that I loved about it is this, this leader of the miners, I don't know what his name or position is. Uh, um, I wrote it. I, I tried to do a better job writing these these guys' name down. So, um, Glukov. Glukov? Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, so, Glukov, he... He walks into this trailer, and he looks at this thing that they hand him, this breathing mask, and he's like, God, this doesn't fucking work. I'm not wearing this stupid thing. Right. Uh, Which gives you the indication that, oh, maybe he's not super concerned about safety, but then, you know, when they explain to him about the fans and how this will actually hurt your men even more, he's he's willing to listen to that, you know? So it it makes them out to be like, okay, they're tough, they are willing to do this job, even though they know it's a dangerous one. Uh However, they're also like they're not idiots no. and and that's that was important to me because I didn't want these people to be just like herded up shoved in here and yes. killed uh without really realizing what was up and they're they're ignorant um they're not uh, very like well educated obviously
0: as a nuclear physicist but they're intuiting what is important and what's real by the way that yeah. people are reacting this guy's
1: like, street smart as fuck
0: yeah like this guy's like threat. like this this fan is a no joke like he's ready to throw down over this restriction but whether we wear clothes whether we're the breathing mask fuck mm-hmm. these guys aren't wearing breathing mask oh you want us to go 12 meters deep so to protect us? are any of us 12 meters deep underground no okay mm-hmm. well that's probably bullshit too um it's 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 interesting because like i also see the limitations in that like you can you know um it, it reminds me of like uh, the way people react when the scientist tries to say that the earth is glo- warming and in a way that's going to cause a lot of economic and perhaps um you know devastation human populations of people like come on it's fucking snowing outside dude (laughs) like this kind of intuiting what is real and what's not and when to listen to an authority figure and not
1: definitely has its strengths and it has its weaknesses um it does yeah but i I think in this case he's looking more at the behavior of the people telling him these things right which which is perfectly valid like if if a climate scientist is not concerned enough to you know recycle their garbage for instance or you know drive an EV if they can yeah like then you have to look at it and say okay well why aren't you trying mm-hmm. why aren't you trying anything and mm-hmm. if you're not trying what makes me think I should try and I I kind of can get behind that. Yeah, but even then, that's like, you know, if if the climate scientist
0: says there's no point in me driving an electric vehicle when, you know, there's 360 million people that are not, and also the world's 10 largest companies put up 55% of pollution, like, you could still be, ah, whatever, you fucking hypocrite, but they're right, you know, like, that's what I'm saying, like, I think it's interesting in the context of this other political sociological conversation we're having, where people are, mm-hmm. uh, and this is happening in lots of coverage of the show. They're also comparing, like, oh shit, could this happen here? If this happened here, how would it look? Uh, I'm just saying that, like, I what am I tra- what am I trying to say? I guess I'm trying to say before we blow the miners too much for having s- <laughs> a healthy skepticism for their corrupt authority and a scant uh, look at uh, what an authority figure would tell them about radiation, let's also keep in mind how that can bite us in the ass in a, in a society. That's I agree all.
1: there are limitations to intuition.
0: And, yes. and any, almost any way you can organize or, yeah. or, or uh, uh, set up a human society. Um, having said that, yeah, Glukoff, he's a fucking boss, and I can't wait to see <laughs> him and uh, all... The... It's so funny because when... I, you know HBO's doing the whole thing of like rated MA for you know strong language, uh, drinking something nudity and like uh, adult situations nudity. I'm like, huh, what 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 kind of nudity And I didn't expect to yeah. see a hundred mining dong, but wow. uh, it was really it was really funny to see. It, <laughs> it was, uh, and it's just like it's also like the only even potential grim chuckle you could get out of thing maybe that and um uh Sherbina like giving um jared harris's character legos off a, a backhanded compliment about being a naive idiot
1: mm-hmm.
0: it's like shit well you, you just you just called the kgb head out but you say came across
1: as a as a fool so he's probably not going to have you killed um, uh, so, so the other half of of this you know the the solution, I guess, to this problem mm-hmm. that we now have about the groundwater is to install, dig under and install a heat exchanger, is what they call it. That's going uh, to require all, <laughs> all of the liquid nitrogen in the Soviet Union. That seems like a big ask, yeah. but, you know, it's a big problem. Right. So, th- that that is kind of, is it, can you explain, like, the operation of a heat exchanger at all? Because, as I understand it, it's simply a thing to wick away the heat yeah. from the concrete pad so the concrete doesn't melt through, mm-hmm. and then... I assume uh, cool it down with the liquid nitrogen somehow, but I'm not. They, they don't make it super clear, and I don't know that they need to. Yeah, I was just no, curious. I mean, like,
0: uh, like I, I don't. I honestly don't know what the difference between like a heat con- uh, exchanger versus an air conditioner versus a heat pump. But all these devices essentially work by um, either taking like a thermal gradient and using that to do work and pump like heat from one thing and make it cold in another area, and make something that's cold, that's hot in the other. Or it uses evaporation, which is about the best way we can ever cool things um, uh, to to actually bleed heat away and and cool things down. Um, And it sounds like what what they're doing is going to use this liquid nitrogen, super cold, pump it down there... um, And then it warms the – I I, I don't know. And then it's going to come back and be Mm re-refrigerated. But the whole idea is, yeah, you can't let this – you're going to chill the concrete so it will chill the uranium. So hopefully it will stop corrosively eating through. Yeah. Or not corrosive. It's burning. It's just like lava. It's just
1: melting the concrete.
0: Yeah. It's burning right like a lava would make a tunnel in the side of a mountain. It's doing that through this this thick industrial concrete. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, so I also thought this was an interesting way to bring up uh, the dark, the long, dark night of the soul that Legos, Legosov is stuck in and bringing in uh, uh, Comrade Kamyuk, uh, his, um, you know, this amalgam of all essentially Russian scientists that are going and you can kind of kind of feel that amalgam at work that she's like one person interviewing all these people and she's catching flaws in reactor design and she's got blueprints of yeah, this and yeah. it feels very like, sh- but, but it, it works. Um, and they have this conversation after her arrest where she wants to give up because she's like, Jesus Christ, uh, I'm trying to do my job. Um, this political stunt, which frustratingly lasts just long enough for these men to die, that she's the only ones that knew what happened in his room and they're dying. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I thought it was really interesting about the kind of, you know it reminded me a lot of um who is the 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 foul mouth grandma on the expanse? Um oh Ava Avicarala where she says, when you realize you're the adult in the room, like, you lose the ability to, like, fuck off. Like, if you're the only adult mm, in a room yeah. full of children, then it's a shirking of your responsibility to to give up in that situation. And Legasov, for better or worse, sees himself as the one thing that's tathering these people that just want to slap themselves on the back, pretend this is over, and go to sleep on a problem that's going to last 50, 60, 100, thousands of years. Uh, and he can't, like, mm-hmm. even though it's not fair for him to be the one saying 50-50 odds, let's kill these hundred dudes to save potentially 50 million, he's the only one that can. Yeah. Uh, and, like, you just feel the weight and the the burden. And even, like, Sherbina, like, I think it feels like that he's just as frustrated with uh, some of the things that's happened as Legasov, but he's a little bit maybe more aware of the actual political limitations. That, Mm -hmm. like, they can almost transcend physical, you know, uh, physics-based
1: realities. Yeah, they do a pretty good job, too, of sort of juxtaposing the the numbers versus, like, the individual pain here. Because, like, all all this time while they're, you know, mining and trying to fix this problem that's going to kill 50, 60 million people, potentially, if it gets in the groundwater, they've also got this thread going on where... Like you said, the scientist is interviewing these people who are dying horrifically, mm-hmm. absolutely brutal deaths. And you know that, okay, every person he sends in there is not going to die this way, mm-hmm. but every person he sends in there is more likely to die uh, in, in more pain than they, they could have, right? Yeah. And so they set up this nice tension between, like, how many people do I feel comfortable killing in potentially brutal ways, like sending these people into this water, I'm uh-huh. sure that's going to fucking destroy them uh-huh. in order to save 50, 60 million people, you know? The numbers versus the immediate individual horror. Yeah, uh, I think they do a really good job telling that story. And the fundamental unfairness, like these two guys that took
0: accountability for their actions, and they went in the water. Turns out they did a lot of damage, and and they're dying horribly. Mm -hmm. But they are the ones that will tell the truth about the situation. And this Dyatlov, which seems like he might be surviving... Like, like I said, yeah, like he
1: was the guy who was in denial
0: right. the entire time. He, he spent a lot of time deep underground with those other uh, in the control you know, room, or, yeah. the, uh, apparatic, apparatic guys, and never went into the water. Never looked at the reactor himself. He might actually survive. In fact, I think we know that. In the first episode, they talked about how he's sentenced to ten years in prison. Yeah, yeah. But this fucker who's going to live is going to be maximally uncooperative. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just a—it's it's just like I said—it's just—it's a fundamental unfairness. Uh, it's a, this division of blame. Like these guys are going to get the disproportionate share of it. They got the disp- They're going to live these. Now, I man, I'm actually somewhat shocked that the idea of euthanasia wasn't talked about because I can't imagine not wanting to die. Why? Like like no. like Jared Harris. Like once you get to this, what he stated like once you get to the fa- phase where your veins are no longer capable of pumping morphine into your brain? What the fuck? Yeah,
1: it's over. Just kill me.
0: Yeah, it's... I, I want none of that. Yeah, there's no way I can be brought back. In fact, the people giving me palliative care are putting their lives at risk for... Mm-hmm. I, I was kind of sh- shocked that they there was not any mention of that because just just, just the worst way to die.
1: Yeah, um, dump me in a metal, metal, a lead casket and bury me under concrete. Like, I do that well before I get to the phase where my eyes turn inside out and i can't see and i'm screaming in pain (laughs) i I thought that's such a great
0: where like in one single episode she goes to her husband and yeah he's burnt but he's playing cards with the boys and he's fine and they're joking about stuff and then he could progressively worse and then like two days later he's dead and they're welding him into zinc coffin and buried in concrete like how unreal that must have felt to that woman um Mm -hmm. just and it's so, like, how do you come to grips with, with this mass grave with metal coffins? Like, how bizarre that must have been to see and to feel. Like, it's something out of a, a science fiction movie or a horror movie. Yeah. Uh, I thought they did a really good job. And now, I, I, this Ludmila, the the Vasily's wife, um, I mentioned this last week, but she's one of the ones that is in this kind of oral history voices of um, Chernobyl. Uh, and I read, like, her account, like, the actual factual account of, like, you know, her word-for-word description of what happened um, and it looks like that they've maybe blended some characters together or given some things from the, like, cause there's several firefighters wives and maybe they merged in the, in, in the one, but mm-hmm. a lot of this stuff is just right out of like her memoirs. Um, and I stopped, I didn't cause I, I, I honestly don't know what's going to happen to their unborn child. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm trying to like not spoil myself that way, but, oh, I just kept on thinking about like, if you're just a person living your life, this feels like a war of the world situation
1: uh what else do we want to talk about uh i want to talk about the spies okay so we find out that the two people that jared harris at the bar told uh not to worry at all well lied to them uh were actually kgb spies Mm -hmm. and i found it it, i I found the whole conversation between the the head of the kgb and jared harris uh like i saw fascinating Uh, Right down to the idea that, you know, Reagan was not the originator of this verify or trust, but verify uh, saying that blew my mind. In fact... When I watched that, I earmarked there,
0: looked that up because <laughs> I thought they're making bullshit. I thought they're making a point of like these. This is so nineteen eighty four that they're taking credit for something the American president said, and and like uh. this is a big lie that they're telling just to test like if Jared Harris would be a local actually. But no, fuck me, I'm a victim of my <laughs> own propaganda. I thought Ronald Reagan invented that term. Huh. Okay. So I did not know that that was actually an old Russian proverb that that uh, I mean, Reagan I was using either. against them. Yeah. So, what did you think about? Because I'm trying to think of like the KGB, and you know, you and I watched last year, uh, "The Lives of Others,"
1: mm-hmm.
0: which is just really chilling. Look at like East German, um, whatever their state police—I forget what it's called—and um, their like widespread, pervasive um, intelligence apparatus. And I'm trying to think of like you know, obviously this is a bad. This this seems very bad and offensive to a free-thinking individual. But I'm wondering like. You know, like when I when when I look at and, and increase calls for transparency and accountability of government, that's obviously the impulse that lead led to this organization being created. Like, oh, this is this isn't spying. This is a circle of accountability. I'm being watched. You're being watched. They're being watched. We're all watching everybody. So if there's a problem, then you know it can be addressed. And that seems like there there's the tension, and and is is all society have like this axis where it's like there's a healthy everything that you can do there's a healthy balance that's somewhere in the middle or maybe it's at a 25% mark of 75 but at both ends it's like fucking crazy yeah. because yes I think our government needs more accountability and transparency and for us to do better jobs of using the accountability and transparency we've got set up but I also don't want to be spied on all the time by the government but I also simultaneously am aware that that's the reality I'm living in like that's what Edward Snowden sure. told us that like Maybe they're not listening, but they're recording to everything. And if they ever want to drill down on anything, my innermost thoughts in the last, God knows how long, all they got to do is flip a switch, punch in a number. Brrr, here's everything that Aaron has said yeah. on his cell phone and his email, on Usenet groups, on his podcast, on YouTube. Like that's frightening, but it feels more warm and cuddly because there's not actually two ugly people wearing shitty Eastern Bloc clothes, smoking right. bad Soviet
1: cigarettes. <sighs> who just just staring us down we Uh don't feel it yeah no and it also has to do with sort of which direction the information is flowing i think right because the transparency that we're looking for Uh is transparency of the government to the public right i think the transparency that they were looking for is the public to the government right yeah they were they were very much collecting that data the same way that we are now yeah uh just with more rudimentary tools (sighs) yeah so
0: there is this. Uh, we we talked about this this board meeting that they have where Legosoft, uh, played by Jared Harris, lays an owl on the line. And says, you know, Sherbina sure gets to give the good news, which is, hey, <laughs> got the fire put out off the heroic effort, and our miners are making fantastic progress, and we're containing all the thing. And now for the wah wah, yeah. here's Legosoft, and he gets up. It's like okay. Yeah, the battle's over, the long war begins. We have to round up and kill every animal in this province. Yeah. We have to plow the ground under itself for 100 square (laughs) kilometers. We have to construct a containment vessel around this structure that's all the while spewing death. And it's going to take three years and almost a million men. And perhaps Mm -hmm. thousands, tens of thousands of lives. And then they pivot to this scene that happens at the end of the episode where you're just seeing like a wartime draft. Mm-hmm. What I
1: think, yeah,
0: where it's like it's almost like you we uh, we went to war against China, so we need a million dudes to step up. Like that's happening, and you're seeing the next. Uh, you know, you, you got to see several people's face, which I'm sure these are the next generation of the Vasily. These these heroes that are going to get liquefied in the liquidation process, or some of them might survive. Like I, I don't know. Like I said, I know a lot about Chernobyl, and I know there's a there's only two episodes left to deal with a bunch of hair raising shit. So at this point, I'm really curious about are they going to continue to tell like the immediate aftermath and, or is this ever going to shift into like mm-hmm. the long term? like why Jared Harris kills himself two years from, from this date? It seemed like there's so much left to cover and there's only two hours left of television.
1: Yeah. I'm with you. Uh, I think the next place they have to go is figuring out why it happened. Yeah. Uh, cause I've read a lot about it on Wikipedia and obviously that information had to come from the people who were there in the room. So I'm looking forward to, uh, is it Yulana? Uh-huh. Her her further investigation. Tom Yuck. Uh, sure, <laughs> I don't know. i was just going to last
0: names, man. Yeah. <laughs> um. That 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 phrase that we talked about this a little last week, where you have very two very smart people who are experts in the field, saying, "I've been thinking about this all the time, and I just can't see how it happened." Yeah that's what that's what's really terrifying about nuclear power right (laughs) and i don't know why it's uniquely terrifying because like i'm sure there's similar shitty safety standards in any coal or gas fired plant or you know obviously you know deep deep ocean drilling has problems and and pipelines through wilderness has problems and why those don't seem as dangerous as this but like it's so frightening to have these people like hey we thought of everything and jesus fucking christ this shouldn't be possible and an entire continent is in the fucking balance like mm-hmm. goddamn um so you've got that kind of like that's setting up the the i think the stakes of the series you've got the um trying to figure out why it happened and hold the people accountable and so it will never happen again and also the cleanup it seems like those are both two hours worth of shit easily and there's that's that's the total total amount of time we got left yeah um so yeah uh that's the episode we'll see how they go with the the last two uh are you ready for feedback yeah before we get to feedback i just want to tell you about the many many features extol the features of the club at club.baldmove.com not only can you get ad free feeds not only can you get access to exclusive bonus content like our full spoiler review movies of bald move and like i said in the housekeeping we've had a lot of good ones avengers uh, john wick 3 uh, Aladdin's coming up and you get the full spoiler version of those reviews. Uh, you also get access to lunch with Jim and Aaron. And we, now that game of Thrones is wrapping up. We are looking ahead to other club features. We're going to be doing a few more episodes of the empire business, which is a look behind the scenes of this podcast startup known as bald move, uh, the financials, the advertising, the strategy, uh, and we'll have several updates and some new new segments for that. So if that sounds like a cool thing, you want to go to club.baldmove.com. You can preview all of those things I just talked about. We have a few samples for you to sample, and as always, you can do a free 30-day trial if this is your first membership. Uh, sign up at club.baldmove.com. Feedback you can send at a TV at baldmove.com, or there's always a forums, forums.baldmove.com if you'd like to discuss anything Chernobyl-related with your fellow fans. Um, so There's a couple of just kind of factual discussions in the episode, and then we have a whole bunch of uh, talk about uh, capitalism and socialism. First up, Joshua S. um, wanted us to know that Adam Negatius, Mm -hmm. uh, who plays the Doom firefighter Vasily, also played Cornelius Hickey on The Terror.
1: Did not recognize him in the first episode. award nominee, Cornelius Hickey, thank you very much. Yeah, uh, when I read that, I was like, oh shit, you're right. Mm-hmm. And I should have recognized that, but he looks so different. he has no beard uh, right. you can hardly see his hair it's not as long he's very different. He's playing a broadly heroic character versus
0: uh-huh. although I remember thinking that Hickey, if you haven't seen a tear, like he could go either way like I really that's really he's such sure. an effective villain because I really liked and sympathized with him mm-hmm. um so yeah, there's a guy to watch oh, speaking of, did you notice that the Russian general that was like had like a sentence or two dialogue um he is kind of a bigger name. I'm wondering if there's going to be more to him to come for next week. Because so he played like Dagmar Clefjaw in the first couple seasons. Um, he was one of Theon's right hand men hmm. during the Theon sack in Winterfell plot of Game of Thrones. He was also the dad from the Witch. Um, okay, like he's bigger, bigger of a profile than I expected to have like two or three lines. I, I bet yeah. that he's going to be one of the ones that leads this massive uh, operation. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I just something to keep in mind on. Uh, Uh, or keep your eye on Uh, Chris a we asked about the helicopter crash last episode and he says it's caused by the rotor hitting the hoist cable of the nearby crane Hmm. Uh, for what I understand the radiation and smoke disoriented the pilot and their uh, rotors contacted the hoist cable and that's caused the crash also I guess this didn't happen the first day this was like something several days into so like but you know I you know honestly I don't know I don't know why I don't know why these things like Collapsing all the scientists making efforts across the United the, the Soviet um uh states into one single character for storytelling expediency, I feel like is valid. I I don't I don't know why you would ever do this when you're telling a real life story. Do you need to sex up Chernobyl? Uh I have no problem with it. Really? Yeah. I don't know. I I feel like sometimes this historical stuff, like, unless you can directly say this. Causes the story to be told in a possible way, and the other way to tell it's impossible or improbable. Then anything you do that like make something better or a better story is just like, well, I don't know. Maybe that's my my, my personal thing.
1: Yeah, I, I, I just think if this were a documentary, I would get uh, all up in arms about that kind of stuff. But this is a you know a revised telling of the story. Uh,
0: Jason B had a correction about the explosive force of the potential secondary explosion. Uh, you guys est- est- mentioned that, that, or said in, in the episode, it's estimated that the force was two or four megatons, and you guys said kilotons. This is orders of magnitude larger, hence the huge initial estimated destruction radius and continent killer potential with the fallout. For reference, the yield of the little boy um, that was dropped on Hiroshima or Nagasaki, I think little boy was Hiroshima, it was 15 kilotons, and it was a smaller gun type of nuclear device detonated over Hiroshima. So, yeah, that. Yeah, kilotons is a lot different than megatons. It's different than kilobytes and megabytes, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, Bryce W. had a reasonable question. Mm -hmm. If this type of disaster had never before occurred on Earth, how did Legasoft know exactly how the people involved will die and how long it would take?
1: I mean, I assume they've done tests of radiation exposure, and he knows the levels of radiation they'd be exposed to. I, I don't think you have to have a nuclear meltdown or a nuclear reactor explosion in order to test or or to to know what the effects of radiation on the human body are. Yeah, so like um there's several different radioactive
0: events that had happened. There was one. Did I talk about this last week about the drag the tickling the dragon's tail? Um I can't remember. During the Manhattan Project, um they were doing um experiments with criticality and there is a scientist um which I can't remember his name is Lewis something or other. Uh but he they had these two cores that you know were two halves and if they touched they would go critical hmm. um but you, the whole idea is to get them as close as you can so they start reacting but you can control the reaction you can measure the radiation and there's a whole elaborate apparatus designed so they can never touch and you could adjust their spacing by like precise turning of screws and whatnot this one guy decided that this like he, he was a little bit of a maverick and he found this kind of tedious and impatient so what he decided to use is a flathead screwdriver to bypass the safety system and just use that to lever it up and down to like you know do the experiments in a very fast and uncontrolled way and in demonstrating this technique uh, he slipped and the cores crashed together um, and it killed him in one massive dose of radiation he died like this firefighter died wow. his body shielded the other people in the room and he his his first conscious act was to just smash the thing away so it fall, fall apart and he probably saved everybody in that room but like we've had and and by this time hiroshima and nagasaki had happened we had all kinds of information on how people would die so it's a matter of like you know we know how irradiated the area was that this stuff happened we know what happened on the human body Legosoff is saying i can read the radiation in this particular area i know mm-hmm. where these guys were standing yeah. this is definitely going to happen so this hadn't happened on earth but massive doses of radiation had uh but that is a a good non-intuitive question Uh, Joanna F. All right, we're going to start getting into the politics stuff. Are you ready, Jim? No, but okay. (laughs) Uh, before we start, I just want to put my cards on the table, and when I'm pushing back against, um... A lot of reflexive anti-Soviet um, sentiment. It's because I have recently started looking into different ways to organize political, and I'm not. I'm not have not reached any definitive conclusion. I'm not prepared to say that for sure one way is better than another. It seems like where I'm at, there needs to be a blend of capitalism and socialist policies to maximize the welfare of a population and its economic engine. Okay, um, but I've also become aware that I've grown up in a a country that had a very effective propaganda machine against their enemy, just like the Soviet Union had a very effective propaganda arm against the united States okay um, and I found that a lot of the stuff that I have reflexively thought about you know Soviet doctrine, and Eastern Bloc doctrine was exaggerated or wrong, or we maximize the failures of that society and minimize of our own our own, for example, a lot of people can tell you about the whole of the mirror. Um, crisis where Stalin essentially starved the Ukraine. But these same people could not articulate how Churchill's policy in India caused the Bengal famine that, caught, that killed millions of people. And if you'd ask, like, the Indians, would you want to trade places with the Ukraine, or the Ukrainians, would you want to trade places with the Indians, like, would they give a shit? And if you can articulate the problems of the society that caused the one disaster, but you can't identify the different... Causes that caused a very similar disaster in your own society, then are you really trying to find the best solutions? Are you trying to shore up your society as best as you can, or are you just talking shit? Um, you know, you look at this per- pervasive spying the KGB, and you contrast it with like the stuff we know that got leaked out about the different um, uh, NSA and CIA spying on American citizens. Uh, if you look at what the FBI did with civil rights leaders in 1960s, you look at the callous way that people. Uh, that the Soviet Union treated their citizens, uh, but you don't know anything about the Tuskegee Airmen experiments or, you know, MK Ultra experiments, the times where United States experimented or allowed terrible experiments to happen on people without their knowledge and sometimes very vulnerable populations. I'm just saying... I just I'm trying to get at an accurate understanding of the world. I don't have all the answers. I'm just saying that like I it annoys me when people can tell you about all the evils of the Soviet Union, but they can't tell you the evils that their own country and allied countries have done. You know, that's, mm-hmm. that's so. I just want to have that little preamble before we, we, we dive into this. First up Joanna F. Hey guys I'm a long time listener and a club member. I was born and raised in Poland um, and until 1989 communist Poland. I was nine years old when Chernobyl happened. I don't remember a lot from that time except grown ups talking about a nuclear explosion that we were given something awful to drink at school. Iodine and tablet didn't uh, form didn't exist in Poland at the time. Lugal liquid, an iodine preparation, was distributed to everyone under 17 as a precaution against their thyroid being damaged. It was brown and horrible in taste. Some sarcastically called it Russian Coca-Cola because we did not get to know the real Coca-Cola until the 1990s. My parents told me later on that the Soviet informed Poland about the explosion but insisted there was no danger. Polish governments decided to restri- distribute the Lugol uh, liquid against Soviet advice. Uh, Free Radio Europa, the U.S. government-funded initiative during Cold War, was broadcasting to USSR and Soviet satellite countries all the news that was unknown or forbidden to speak of in the communist world. Free Europa was regularly jammed by security police, but somehow everyone is listening to it. Therefore, everyone knew what happened to Chernobyl, and the decision to distribute the liquid was influenced by that information." As is often shown in American movies, everyone always remembers where they were when 9-11 happened or when JFK was assassinated. And a lot of people in the old Soviet bloc remember where they were when Chernobyl happened. You often speak during a podcast about different cultures of Soviet uh, people and somehow admiring the society for their efforts and bravery. Please remember that almost every decision made by individuals was dictated by fear. Every request by people in power had an unspoken threat, like, I will throw you out of this helicopter. The Soviet system was a totalitarian one full of human misery, corruption, and crime. While you admire a swift evacuation of 50,000 people from Pripyat by a thousand buses from Kiev, I strongly believe that if it was possible to hide the truth about the explosion, they would have the city sealed and let them all die. So no one would know since the world found out there was no other choice. Hmm. Um, I mean, this is a super valued, valuable perspective, Joanna. And, um, I take it very seriously. Um, but I also, you know, I, I I, th- I, I, I have a problem with like the statement, in particular that every decision made by individuals is dictated by fear, every request by people of power and unspoken threat. Because unless they're just making
1: shit up, that has not been the case of what I've seen. Yeah, I mean, the show is trying to portray it in some other light. Yes, and I don't know how valid their interpretation is yeah. versus yours. And Uh, I
0: also, like, I think it's also hard to judge, like, if the people on top had accurate information about how bad this disaster would be, would they have still acted the same? I mean, obviously, the Soviet Union is going to try to keep this secret from the world at all costs. mm -hmm. Um, And that's just part of their fucking, you know, cultural dysfunction. Just like Americans, we have our cultural dysfunctions and whatnot. And that's all I'm asking when we're talking about this is... Instead of being very smug about how, like, oh, look at these fucking Soviets. Look how fucked up their shit is. Uh, that can never happen in America. How much of what happened in this was because of Soviet doctrine and propaganda and teachings, and how much of it is just human nature enabled by those things? And what, what particular parts of all cult, our culture could enable similar dysfunction? It's all, all, all I'm asking, because obviously I don't want to live in a Stalinist. Society. I don't want to live in the East German society as portrayed in the lives of others. That's not not anywhere near what I'm going for. Uh, Chris J. I do think there are real considerations to the idea that there was extreme harms that came from Chernobyl because of the singular control over the economy, nuclear, military, uh, industry and government and a system where hundreds of millions of people and companies voluntarily exchange goods and services and the company's providers become experts on their goods and services. I find that simply a better system than a society where a group of people, usually old white men who have no expertise on the areas they're voting on, arbitrarily voting to make decisions on what to do with other industries. Um, okay, uh, so this is this is the person that that used the the BP uh, um, spill as a way that the American system is superior and kind of got taken to task last week. He says I want to try another example. My girlfriend and her family worked on a farm for years. Her family for decades. When something goes wrong on the farm, I 100% trust a farmer that knows their land and their uh, goods and crops that will suffer immense repercussions of losing their livelihood to make the correct decisions on how to respond to catastrophes rather than a bunch of people in suits hundreds of miles away just voting on what to do that have no expertise or anything real to lose. It may seem like a real example, but I think it serves for all industries.
1: What do you think? Uh... There are limits to intuition, (laughs) and especially when we're dealing with global, potentially global scale issues. You know, a farmer on his farm is one thing. I think a nuclear reactor going critical or exploding may be another. And
0: also, like, I can see lots of examples where a farmer would know how best to maximize the yield they get from their soil. But it would do well to listen to climate scientists saying that if we don't change how we're doing things and part of that is the way we use fertilizers and pesticides and uh the way we use uh you know pump greenhouse gases in the the environment that that's going to cause the your farm to be an arid desert in fifty to hundred years
1: like yeah and, and to poison the groundwater and to the, for the runoff from it to poison the people in the town next to you like yeah th- there's i mean the i think the true problem with any statement where you're trying to point to one example and say this applies in all situations and that's to quote you all industries uh is that you can't lay blanket statements out there and mm-hmm. assume that they hold true in every situation and and also y- <laughs> the different expertises uh required to deal with a problem like this must come inevitably from a lot of different places you know you can't just go and say well the people who were in this reactor at the time know best how to deal with it because they know you know what led up to it and all that stuff that might be true but there might be information they don't know about a reactor there might be information they don't have because they were too close to the issue and they Mm. can't see the radioactive effects bleeding into the rest of the world or you know there, there are just so many so many questions that are raised i don't think any one person or group of people can have the answer um yeah i
0: agree uh danny p you propose an interesting question regarding the roles of socialism versus capitalism or democracy versus communism leading to these catastrophic events chernobyl was a man-made disaster that's not unique to the soviet union although there are several factors that led to the meltdown of reactor number four one of the most significant factors that led to disaster was the operators in the control room that night and many workers in chernobyl's nuclear power plant did not have the minimum level of competence to successfully perform their jobs the Atalov failed to follow protocols that were laid out in the operating manuals and created an unstable reactor. Many mm-hmm. party workers were party loyalists who were rewarded with high prestige positions, even though they may not have had direct and relevant education experience for the role they were assigned to. Meritocracy is not nearly as valued by as loyalty and this placed people in positions that they have possible or they have, or they perhaps had, should not have been in. However, the most significant factor that led to disaster was to cover up the design flaws of the RBMK reactor. These flaws were purposefully covered up so that no one working at the plant was even aware of them. The conflation of these two flaws in that specific cultural context, i.e. loyalty above reality and secrecy, slash failure to disclose defects, led to the catastrophic event. Um, And they contrast this with things that happened in Fukushima. Japan is a collective capitalist country that's a private nuclear energy uh, in a, industry, and the Fukushima uh, re- nuclear plant had three reactors meltdown in 2011 after a tsunami struck the plant. If you look into this disaster, you'll find reports stating that the Tokyo Electric Power Company could have prevented the power disaster, but failed to meet basic safety requirements, and subsequently acted out of fear of lawsuits and bad publicity in the aftermath. The Japanese government has been criticized for not doing more to clean up Fukushima and shut down the other existing nuclear power plants in Japan. Uh, The power company anticipates that it may take up to 40 years and tens of billions of dollars to remove the nuclear fuel from the three reactors, which may bankrupt them. Many think the Japanese government has not acted appropriately to accelerate the cleanup time or to permanently shut down all nuclear reactors in the country because uh, Shinzo Abe is looking for the interest of the power company. The bottom line is that people will do whatever they have to do to preserve their own self-interest no matter what economic or government system they happen to reside in. We have these problems in the U.S. as well because energy companies seek to internalize the profits and externalize the costs. I think this last thing is what I see going wrong a lot with capitalism and in that in the companies naturally seek to keep all of the gains that they make and then make the public pay for all of the cost of cleanup. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, uh, if, if they're making money cause they're caught, they're cutting costs and they're making money executives getting bonus. And then when a pipeline ruptures and it costs billions of dollars, it's the people in the States and local and the fe- at the federal level that are ultimately responsible for bailing them out, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, I like this idea that meritocracy is not nearly as valid as loyalty, in the Soviet Union as a as a flaw versus American, I don't see it, man. Or if anything, that's a very fungible quantity because I'm looking around at the government and the industry in America, and I'm seeing lots of people promoted for bullshit reasons other than core expertise at the position that they're supposed to be ma- managing.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, surely I don't have to provide examples that just going to piss off people that don't know what I'm talking about. Like, come on. Um, so yeah, I... Uh, yeah, uh, being able to accurately point out how the same human nature can mani- manifest in your government and your way that you organize your society and your culture is one of the best things we can do. Because like, the other thing, if I'm laying my cards on the table, is I do think that for the human species to become more than it is right now, it's going to require us to all like realize that all of us homo, homo sapiens that are living in this little blue membrane around this fucking rock we call Earth, we're all in the same tribe. And we all have to look out for each other and we all have strengths and weaknesses and and we need to pull from everybody's strengths and account for everyone's weaknesses. And the only way to do that is to have an accurate understanding of how your own fucking society works. Mm -hmm. Like it's not good enough to just throw rocks and from your glass house at some other's glass house, right? Like let's toughen up those fucking windows and maybe replace the rocks with Nerf. I don't know. (laughs) Uh, Joey P says, seems to me the conversation in the last cast is about differences between essentially... A controlled economy where everything is state owned and controlled with no possibility of accountability to the market versus a free market capitalist economy where industry commerce is largely private and the market can punish or reward businesses, which misses the other glaring schism. Communist Russia as not democratic, where the U.S., at least in theory, cough campaign finance cough, is democratic. Well, there's an obvious third way to organize a state. Uh, imagine a state where industry is largely state-owned and wealth is redistributed for the benefit of the people, but the nation is democratic. The more democratic, the better. That's where the accountability comes from. You elect your school's board, your city uh, health board, your local counselor, maybe even the management of various industries, right up to members of the parliament. Why do we hold democracy so dear in a public realm but exclude it from industry? Hmm. That's an interesting question. Uh... Yeah, why why is democracy over who leads us important but there is zero democracy or accountability inside a corporation.
1: Well, I mean theoretically capitalism comes with some built-in accountability, right? In the form of choosing what to buy, mm-hmm. who to buy it from, uh those kinds of things, what price you are willing to pay for right. the good or commodity whatever. Uh in practice though, I think it doesn't work all that well. But uh, I'm not prepared to like articulate a grand unified theory on this. No, nah, me either.
0: Because uh, that's the thing. It's like I'm very much in flux about. I'm just into. I'm just into. I'm trying to get my hands around accurate information so I can determine my worldview phase. And it's been going for several years now. Um, so I doubt we're going to get a satisfying conclusion on the podcast. Um, but I like the fact that we're having this conversation because I, I feel like. I feel like this this thing is happening at a right time because there's a lot of people trying to revive just unironically like the Red Scare shit from the 50s and 60s in in contrast to what I think this this person, uh, this Joe here is is, uh, from New Zealand. He's a self-identified Kiwi. I think what people from uh, around the world are starting to think about, like, what if you could have some kind of socialist democracy? Like, could you Mm -hmm. take the socialism and and divorce the authoritarianism? And there's Mm -hmm. a lot of people being like, "Uh uh-uh, they're part and parcel. And I think that's where the argument is. Like, are all the authoritative things that went wrong in, like, the first few experiments with communism and socialism, are they inherent to this system or is it just we need tweaks? Because it's very easy to see, like, if you were back in a feudalist society, the very first experiments with capitalism and democracy, or every time a republic would fall, uh, you know, people would be like, "Whoo, thank God we tried that, and look at what happened. Let's go running back to feudalism, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, worldwide recessions and depressions are chalked up as, like, market failures. And we just, like, well, hope that doesn't happen again. Instead of realizing that this is... You know, millions of people die and tons of economic and intellectual capital are squandered every single time we have one of these market failures. Do we just have to put up with this? Is there not a way to blunt it? I I don't know. I don't know. Uh, Alina has the final piece of feedback. I agree that whatever social political structures are involved, it seems responses to disaster follow the same tropes. Uh, and she liked to look at the Bhopal disaster that I know a little bit about that happened in India, uh, India rather, back in 1984. There's a massive industrial gas leak that happened in India. Some 40 tons of various poisonous gases, but primarily methyl isosanate, uh, MIC, leaked from the, a pesticide plant. Death from the leaks are estimated in the typical just focus on your labor range of 3,000 to 16,000, with adverse health effects suffered by over 600,000. MIC toxicity was understudied and underreported. Studies after the fact kept secret. Now it's a generational disaster with continued contamination of the environment, genetic abnormalities, and birth defects, etc. There's also the usual negligence from authority, corporate and state, secrecy in the aftermath. The only way we could figure out, or they could figure out, to get rid of the rest of the MIC was to restart up the plant and manufacture more pesticide, which caused secondary panic and distrust in the area after the disaster. Downplaying the consequences, telling people that everything other than fish was safe to eat. The ain't-our-fault impulse. The government says the cause was mismanagement by ma- and lack of maintenance, but the corporation says it was deliberate sabotage. Milk? Having read a fascinating analysis of this by a scientist, uh, revealed the tidbit that the UCIL management advised workers to develop resistance against toxic substances by drinking six or seven glasses of milk a day hmm. and eating a high-protein diet of fish and eggs. Great. Thanks for the advice. I wonder whether it's reductive to think any political structure would respond better than another. Rather, how can we affect those responses within the various systems we live in? I'm in the UK, and we're fucked here, too. It's not almost always some specific individuals doing what must be done rather than a system responding in a transparent and effective way. Uh, There's a very particular type of trust in the state in Soviet times, if not something everyone felt, but a lot of people did. Chernobyl is a betrayal of that built-in resentment. Uh, one of the quotes from his oral history Chernobyl is a person saying, to God with the rest of the world, but you could at least have told your own the truth. It's a very familial sentiment, and I think it shows that trust is always misplaced, not to mention that opens up a whole other Pandora's box of moral questions. Hmm. I mean, yeah, Alina, that's kind of what I was thinking, too, that it is reductive to think that like any political structure is going to be ideally suited to handle any crisis, and it's always the human element the fact that we do seem to see value and sacrifice to save many more of our own kind and that's the thing that kind of saves us time and time again and our worst impulses get us in trouble and our best impulses get it get us out how do you design a system that maximizes the best and minimizes the worst i don't know but i think there's no almost no invalid lines of inquiry that that are trying to mm-hmm honestly and open-heartedly answer those those questions so that's all the feedback we got i'm sure we'll get more we can have more discussions next week um uh, maybe we'll get lucky and we'll actually have uh, a nuclear physicist or a uh a, 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 a fucking professor of economy that actually wants to to to, to, to <laughs> say something authoritative and definitive rather than us just kind of talking around the cooler uh, either way send that stuff in to tv at bald uh, and you can also discuss this on the forums, forums.baldmove.com. That's it for this week. We'll be back for later on the week for more Bald Move TV and next week for another installment of the Chernobyl Saga. Until then, I'm Aaron. And I'm Jim. See ya.